Round of applause. We're just very, very grateful. That uh, it might seem like something that you come on a Sunday morning and there's people to sing songs and it just happens. And I can tell you it doesn't. It takes a tremendous amount of, of, of effort and of time spent. More than effort is time spent preparing and listening to the Lord. And it doesn't just happen. Thank you so much, all of you. Love you too, Tay. Ah, oh, good to see everybody. Welcome to the family room today. Everybody doing good? Yeah. That's, that's, thank you, Jesus. It's raining, but it's Ohio, so it's not like shocker. Ah, uh, welcome to our family room. Thank you. He's not here this morning, but thank you to Tom for bringing the word last week. Um, that was a that was a blessing and a word in season for sure. One more announcement before we get into the sermon. The kids immediately following the sermon, the service, the kids have got practice for next Sunday for Christmas at the Rock. I'm not sure if Nick announced, he may have already announced that, but if he didn't, I got it covered, Melinda. Oh, it's good to see everybody today. I was, I've been praying, seeking exactly how to do today, because today is the long-awaited wrap-up of the book of Esther. We're not going to preach on Esther again until possibly, it could be January, <laughs> till, we, till we get back. To, there's just so much in Esther. We're not, we're, this is going to be the wrap, um, and I'm going to try and be fairly brief, and I want to have maybe, if we'll, we'll see how the time works out, maybe have a little discussion afterwards. But um, there's a lot in Esther, and I've, I've struggled to know exactly what the Lord wants me to highlight for us in this time that we live in, um, from this story. A little brief review, I'm not going to hit everything, uh, but King Xerxes the first is the king Ahasuerus, he's the king, the son of Cyrus the Great that we find in the book of Esther. This is kind of a review because it's been a few weeks since we've talked about it, but I want to bring everybody back up to speed so that if the Lord, if the Lord showed you something in your study or your time in the book of Esther, I want to bring that back to the surface. Um, uh, the story of Esther occurred during the time that, that we secular historians, we remember the battle of 300. Uh, God's chosen people, the Israelites, the Jewish people were living in exile in the Persian Empire, uh, which is immediately following the fall of the Babylonian Empire. The Persian Empire was one of the largest empires that humanity has ever seen. Percentage-wise, it was the biggest empire. Shushan was the capital city of the largest empire. Uh, it's got that empire of Persia had 90% 90, 90 or more of the Jewish population of the world were dwelling within its borders at the time, which is a significant statistic. This isn't history class, but it's important because we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want to jog your memories. Uh, if Haman's plot to destroy the Jewish nation had been successful, there's a potential that there wouldn't have been a Jewish lineage for the Messiah to come in. Um, queen Vashti was the first queen. She snubbed her nose at the king, was dethroned. She was cancel cultured. You remember that? It was like, we're, we're done with her. We don't hear anything else about her. The ensuing queen search turns up Esther. It was a pretty carnal and immoral process that took place, but the Lord was able to work through it, which that's kind of the overarching, one of the overarching themes in this whole book. And we've, I hope you've seen it. I keep coming back to it, and it's kind of going to be part of what we, what we look at today again. But Romans 8, 28, Paul reveals that the Lord, we know that God works all things together. He doesn't say we hope, we think, he maybe does, possibly. He says we know that God works all things together for the good of them that love him, that are called according to his purpose. And this is a case study in that. So many of these events and decisions that took place in the book of Esther weren't God's best. It wasn't as, oh, this is, this is exactly the perfect way, the most moral, the most uh, honorable way to go about this. But he said, I will work in these situations, in these circumstances, in these decisions that were made. So that's, that's like this overarching thing, this, the search for the queen. That's not a godly process that they took place, that took place in this. It wasn't like, a real super honorable thing, but the Lord's like, I'll work, I'll be glorified in this, and I'll reveal the coming new covenant. Esther was turned up. Uh, her Hebrew name was Hadassah. Uh, it means myrtle to spring up. She's a beautiful Israelite orphan. 
She was raised by her cousin Mordecai. I'm just, we're just taught, this is details. It sounds like review for a test. There is no test. Well, we're going to mail you a test, but that's later. After Esther is taken for the queen's pageant, that whole ordeal, remember Mordecai's waiting at the gate to see what happens. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen to her. And he uncovers a plot to take King Ahasuerus's life. He speaks up saves his life, and this important detail is recorded in just their secular events of the court. These are things that took place, and it comes to play later in the story. Remember Haman, the king's signet, ring-carrying henchman. He was a descendant of Amalek, a descendant of Esau, full of pride and self-importance. Haman was offended when Mordecai didn't bow and grovel before him, so he drafts a law to basically annihilate all the Jews living in the borders, which we just talked about. It's almost all the Jews on the face of the earth. We got to keep moving because there's so much that I want to get to today. But there's this, there's a, we talked about this a few times, but I want to remember this. There's a, this whole story is a physical display of, of spiritual forces that are at work. The forces of evil have been against God's chosen people since he chose them. There's all the forces of evil have been coming against God's, God chose his people and evil immediately began coming against them. Satan and his forces did not fully grasp that the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, was coming through this Jewish lineage, but he knew something was coming. Because even though Satan wasn't all-knowing, he also was not unaware of the promises that were made to this people. He knew something is coming through this people. Obviously, he didn't understand the full concept or he never would have participated in killing the king of glory when Jesus came because that facilitated the end of him. There's just a lot. I'm skimming through my notes. I don't want to go over everything, but there's a law. Haman develops this plot and then he drafts a law. He asks for the king's approval to annihilate the Jewish people. When Mordecai learns of this, he's grieving sackcloth and, we're going to look at this, but sackcloth and ashes. He has this famous communication with Esther through the person of Hattach. You guys remember Hattach? He was a eunuch, had nothing to gain, but he told the truth. And interestingly enough, his name, Hattach, means verily or truth. Remember Jesus, verily, it's like, that's not really an English word we use today. But when you read the New Testament, you hear Jesus say, verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, I say to you. It's just an interesting little wink that the Lord puts in here. It's like, I'm going to use a guy whose name means verily and truth to tell the truth to help turn the tide of this whole thing. We looked at how Esther chose to engage her culture regardless of the cost. She had information. It wasn't complete. Her information that she was operating on wasn't a perfect picture. How do I know that? Because she was a human. We're reading this in retrospect. She was living it in the moment. She didn't know how everything was going to pan out. And Mordecai didn't know how everything was going to pan out. So what we're going to kind of dig into a little bit today is at that point in time, it was possibility. You didn't know if she was going to make it or not. It says, who knows if you were placed in the kingdom for such a time as this? And Esther responds to that, and she says, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to engage. She chose to engage her culture, which is, there's a, there's a wink to Revelation 12, 11, talks about the war in heaven. It says they love not their lives to the death. We all know the first part of that verse. It says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And that preaches, that's super fun. That's engaging, it's exhilarating. It's like we can sing, we can get excited about that. But then it says they did not love their lives to the death. That's like, I'm not real sure I want to get on board with that. But the picture is they weren't so wrapped up in themselves that they were able to achieve victory. And you see that exact same sentiment expressed in Esther's life. She wasn't so wrapped. It's like, I don't know, if I perish, I perish. If I cease to exist because I engage this culture, so be it. I'm going to engage the culture if it cost her her life. For us, we looked, there's a layer of application in that for us. We know 
that our salvation that we've been given through the blood of Jesus is greater than any country, any laws passed, any government officials, any rise and fall of empires. The passing away of this very planet we live on is less than the gospel that we participate in. But we're here to be salt and light. It's no reason to shy away and not engage our culture. We carry the solution to all of the world's problems. Remember the, the fire hose picture that we talked about? That was with this, where it's like, we, as a culture today, we tend to find ourselves running through burning buildings, carrying a fire hose, just talking about how bad the, burning, the building is. It's like, wow, oh, it's terrible. Sometimes we forget that we're carrying the antidote to that. We looked at how Esther fasted on the third day, which is a foreshadowing of the resurrection. Uh, we talked about God working things together, Mordecai's early actions. There's so much in here, church, but the story is replete with types and shadows of the coming Messiah, the new covenant that we are in today. It's just like a kind of stirred your pot, sort of like, okay, I remember some of this stuff because it's been a little bit. This morning, today's teaching, which is going to be the final installment of the Esther teaching, is titled, Fear Not for Such a Time as This. Fear Not for Such a Time as This. Now, for such a time as this, this is the, this is the, the line from Esther. If anybody knows anything about Esther, they know, number one, she was a queen, and somebody told her, for such a time as this. And most people, secular or Christian, are like, I'm not real sure what the time was, or why that was being said, but now we know. We've talked about this. We've unpacked this. Many of you have communicated to me over the last few months. You've been reading and studying and learning about Esther on your own, which is awesome. And today, I want to look at an important, an important factor that took place in this story, and we haven't really looked at it yet, and it affects us today. This is another layer. I was talking to Shelby before church. And I told him, this is another layer. Like when they, when they mine, anybody familiar with mining practices? You're going to coal mine, you take a whole bunch of the stuff that you don't want off the top, haul it away in haul trucks, and then you blast out the coal underneath. The coal's what you want. The top dirt, the rocks, all that stuff's just kind of in the way. Sometimes it's limestone. So there's layers to revelation in Scripture. Now, it's only one interpretation. In other words, Scriptures only mean what it's only ever meant. But there's many layers, just like strata in the earth, there's many layers of application. So we're looking at an application comes directly out of this and meets us in this Christmas season this morning. As I said before, when Mordecai sent his message to Esther that perhaps she was in the role as queen for such a time as this, it was posed as a question. It wasn't worded as uh, for sure and certain. It was worded as a question. Verse 13 of Esther chapter 4, we see Mordecai tell them, tell the eunuch, the people that were relaying messages, to answer Esther and say, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. If you remain completely silent at this time, in other words, the plan, the plot, the decree had went out to annihilate the Jews. There was a day coming when all, anybody who wanted to was open season on the Israelite people, the Jewish nation that was within the borders of the Persian Empire. And Mordecai is saying, when that takes place, don't think just because you're in the castle, you're safe. That decree, there's no exemptions. Anybody familiar with exemptions? It's like, well, that applies to everyone else, but not to me. That's a very simple picture of an exemption. Mordecai just reminds her, just so you know, that decree has no exemptions, and it's sealed with the king's signet ring. So you're not safe. There's no, it's like, even if you survive the first round, you're not going to make it. If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance he doesn't say may arise. He doesn't say it could arise. The second line on your screen in front of you, it says relief and deliverance will arise. This reveals something about Mordecai. Mordecai was aware of the promises of God. Now, 
doesn't say he's referencing God's promises, but that certainty in his, in his message reveals that he knew God will not leave his people to be destroyed because he promised that he wouldn't. And Mordecai was familiar, it's like, he's going to provide another way because he promised he won't let them be destroyed. It will arise, but it'll come from another place if you stay silent. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's a question. I don't know. You might not be here for such a time as this. From where I'm sitting on the outside of the city gate, or the castle gate, from where I'm sitting, it looks like you may be perfectly positioned. You may have the king's ear. You may be perfectly positioned. But let's just pause for a second with this. You remember why she would hesitate? This seems like a, a no-brainer. Like, she's the queen. There's a decree goes out to kill all of her people. We'll just go talk to the, your husband. Go talk to the king. This seems like a no-brainer. But if you remember in the story, let's back up just a little bit. We see Esther, let's see, go back up to the beginning of, verse, of chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth and ashes and went into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter voice. He was upset. Verse 2, he went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Verse 3, every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was what? Great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Let's keep going, verse 4. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and they told her. They, the queen, Queen Esther, was deeply distressed. She sent garments. She was distressed. It was like, what are you doing? Like you can hear it. What are you doing? I, I don't know what's going on, but stop doing this. You're causing a scene. You're drawing unwanted negative attention. Cover yourself up. But Mordecai refused and would not accept them. Verse 5, Esther called Hatech, one of the king's eunuchs. He had appointed to attend her, gave her a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. In other words, first reaction is cover yourself up. This is, we're making a scene. And when Mordecai, remember, Mordecai had some standing with her. But she still was like, this is embarrassing. What are you doing? Go cover yourself up. And he refuses. She's like, there's something really wrong. She knew Mordecai better than to think he was just there being, well, I'm just going to cause a scene for the sake of causing a scene. So she sends somebody whose name is truthful. She's like, I need to know the truth about this situation. So she sends Hatech. She's like, find out what's going on to learn what and why this was. You skip down, you see Mordecai told him all that had happened, the sum of money the king had promised to pay into the, or Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. Then he also gave Hatech a copy of the written decree for their destruction. Skip on down, uh, give it to Esther to explain to her, and then he might command her to go to the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. This is that no-brainer. Like, you're there. You go talk to the king. Get this reversed. Let's turn this around. Let's change something. So Hattach returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. It's like, this is what your cousin says. He's like, you should go talk to the king. This is what's going to happen. Esther spoke, gave a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know. They know something that is foreign to us. We don't understand what this is like. But she's like, all everyone knows. It's just, there's a little bit in here that's like, don't you know why I'm not doing this? It's kind of like, hello, don't you know? Any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law. Put them all to death. So you see the conundrum. It's not... This is a legitimate concern. She's not just like, I'm not ready. I need to finish my makeup. This is, if I go, he didn't summon me. I'm going to die. Except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter. There is a caveat. Except that he might live. Yet, just so you know, remember, I have not been called to go into the king these last 30 days. 
So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Don't think we just read this. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews who are present at Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Now, some of you might be sitting here saying, we already preached this. Like, we're here, this is sort of like Deja vu. Remember, we talked about this, and we talked about Hattach, and we talked about all these details. But the one aspect of this story that we never really engaged in is one word. And it's present throughout this story in various forms. That's the word fear. As I was praying and sitting with the Lord about this, like, how, what do you want to wrap this? How do you want to finish this, Lord? I got this fear not. And later in the book, I didn't just get this. It wasn't like, I'm not like, it was in the text. <laughs> but what I got was very clear. Fear is present all through this book. At the end of the book, chapter 9, there's a couple of verses. We're going to skip to these. Olivia, this is, we're going to jump around a little bit from what I gave you. We're going to skip to these. And I want to share uh, chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. We'll start in 1. 1, 2, and 3, we're going to read this. Now, in the 12th month, just pause there for a second. Does everybody remember how the story plays out? There's the, the decree goes out from, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I'm, I want to, we didn't get to this in our review. The decree goes out from Haman. It's green light, open season, certain day, Guys can just annihilate the whole Israelite population. Well, then Haman ends up hanged on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Remember all this? And Mordecai ends up with the signet ring. And then Esther and Mordecai are like, so the reason for all of this was this decree that went out that Haman drafted to annihilate our people. And the king's like, ah, uh, well, it was sealed with the signet ring. So unless we're going to trash the whole government system, which is my signet ring, we got to do something, but it can't, we just can't revoke the law. It wasn't like, well, you know what? We all agree. Let's just cancel the law. That's not how it worked. And so they say, draft another law. So they draft another law. They seal it with the signet ring. Mordecai seals it. They send it out, and the law says this new decree gives the Jewish people living all throughout the provinces, 120-some provinces of the kingdom of Persia, gives them the green light to defend themselves. I noticed no one in here's face lit up there. This wasn't like, they're not coming for you. This decree didn't say, no one's coming after you. It said, you got a green light to defend yourself. Now, the Jewish population was not the majority in this kingdom. Numerically, they still did not stand to survive. But they had the green light, and they were, re this is the best they got. It's like, it's just a green light, for a pitched battle. The day is going to come. The enemies will still come against you, but now you've got government blessing to stand up for yourself. We, took, we looked at this a few weeks ago, and there's a picture in this, just like salvation for us. It's free and it's done, but it's not automatic. Their survival wasn't automatic. It was, the availability was before them to survive but it wasn't automatic. So if you keep going and you follow all the way out, we get to chapter nine, because at this point, everybody's like, so how did that day go? Like if this was a, just a secular story you were reading, you get to that point and it's like, so there's gonna be a pitched battle on a certain day between this nation of people and these other nations of people all throughout a whole kingdom. I wonder how it works out. What was the big thing? And I'm not trying to, I, I don't wanna cheapen this to make it something like just a festive thing, but the whole like, everybody wants to see the football game last weekend, right? But ultimately, everybody wants to know how it pans out. Like, if they, so, just, if you knew there was going to be the Buckeyes were going to play the Wolverines, and it's going to be this big game, and then we get to this Sunday, and it's like, who won? Oh, they're still playing. Or they just they just draw, just like nobody won. It was just over. Like they just, it's like, I don't, no, we want to know who won. 
We want to read this story and we want to see how did that day pan out? We get to chapter 9 and you see, and this is where we're going to, this is where the Lord really highlighted this and I want to draw this out for us. Verse 1 of chapter 9, we see now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the time came. Everybody say the time came. The time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. The time came. Now, there's a wink in this. It doesn't say the fullness of time, but it's a wink to the fullness of time, which is what we're about to celebrate when the Messiah came the first time. When the time came, this is what we get excited for. When the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed on the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, look at that. There's a, there's a wink in that to when Jesus was crucified. The powers of evil were going to win. This is the day. It's here. We got him on the ropes. In fact, we got him on the cross. His blood is dripping out of him. We're going to win. The Jews had hoped to overpower them. But what? Wait, what? What? The opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. Verse 2, the Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And what does it say? No one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. Verse 3, the officials of all the provinces, the satraps, the governors, all those doing the king's work helped who? The Jews. Because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. You see, Numerically, they were toast. But they possessed the absence of fear. Now, I, got, I read this. I've read the book of Esther many times in the last six months. And this spot has grabbed a hold of me every time I've read it. And I've unpacked it, and I've looked at all the words and all the meanings and all the meanings and all the words, and I've looked at the definition of all the meanings of all the words, and, and it's riveting, it's in, intriguing, but what is always highlighted, and this is what I'm excited about today, the Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king of Hasserus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could withstand them because of their firepower? No. No one could withstand them because they had better weapons? No. No one could withstand them because they had more numbers? No. No one could withstand them because... Fear of them fell on all people. And the Lord highlighted that in my life, in my heart, and he said, that's going on today in reverse. The people of God, we have the opportunity in front of us to be fearful. Earlier in this book, in Esther chapter four, verse four, we see that the queen was seized with great fear. At the news of Haman's decree, Esther was seized or gripped. Some translations read gripped. If you look at the definition of it, it means to hold something fast. To seize this and hold this fast. She was seized or held with fear. I look at that and I look at fear later in the book. In chapter 9 we see fear. And it had the exact same effect but it was on a different force. Fear of the Jewish people captured their enemies and held them fast. They were powerless. When I think of the word fear, I, I did some looking at this. Um, I gotta get to, okay. The word fear that's used here in chapter nine is Strong's 6343 in the Hebrew. It's a masculine noun meaning dread or the object of dread terrifying and the best picture in this entire definition and it jumps out at you is unfitting for action it's unfitting for action when you're seized with this kind of fear you were fit for action we're ready to go it's imagine a football player they're ready to go and they run out and it's like i've never done that but you see it's like they run out woo, everybody's cheering and they get to the sidelines and we're ready to play and the game's about to start and they take their helmet off and they take their pads off and they take their all the pads and all the shoes and everything off and they're just standing there in their jock shorts and it's like what are you doing well i'm terrified well now you're no good to us you are now unfit you've been unfit by your fear now that's a picture but it's a visceral one it's like 
Huh? Imagine a soldier throwing their gun, throwing their helmet, throwing their pack, throwing their grenades, everything just down, and I'm just going to run. Well, now you're still there, but you're unfit for use. This is the picture of what this fear does. Still, you got all the stuff. You ran through the thing. You're on the field. You're on the sideline. You got all the stuff. Clock's counting down. We're ready to roll, but now you're standing there looking like a ninny. You've got no ability, you've got no function for what you're supposed to be doing. Unfitting, and it doesn't say unfit for action, I love that, but rather, this picture of fear has the ability to unfit one. It's like, it's the fear is like taking your shoes off, taking your pads off, taking, it's like that action, it's an action thing that takes place in real time. The concept of terror, which is another form of this 6343 three in the Hebrew is it shuts down our ability to analyze or to reason. React or respond properly. It paralyzes us. Terror in the American Heritage Dictionary, in our English word terror, which is one of the defined words for this, intense overpowering fear. Now, fear's kind of all over in this story. You see in Esther 4, verse 4, that the queen was seized with great fear. But Mordecai met her. He met her in her fear. Verse 4 of chapter 4, we see Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, of this decree. She was distressed. The New American Standard says that she was gripped or seized with fear, distressed. So Mordecai meets her. He doesn't physically meet her, but he meets her where she is. You understand the picture. It's not, he doesn't actually go to her. They have this whole conversation through these messengers. But he challenges her to action. He says, you can shake this fear. Shake it off by squaring with reality. Mordecai presents Esther with the facts of her situation. And I love in Esther chapter 4, verse 13, in the New King James, can you bring up the New American Standard of that verse, Olivia, in just a second? I want to read this, and I only use this because Tom's not here and he's not going to know about it. Nobody say anything that we're using the New American Standard the thing between Tom and I. So this is just between all of us. Verse 13 of Esther chapter 4 it says, Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think. If you look at that word think, in the New American Standard it says, do not imagine. Do not dream. Do not meditate. Do not imagine. Mordecai meets her with the facts of her situation and he calls her away from her imaginations. You see, and this is probably the biggest thing I want to leave us with this morning. Fear loves to deliver us up to our imaginations. This isn't the biggest thing to leave. This is a setup to the biggest thing. Fear loves to deliver us up to our imaginations. In fact, for fear to be effective at all, to have a function in our lives, we have to retreat to our imagination. Because no one's ever been afraid of what already happened. You know that? It's like, I am terrified about what took place yesterday. Like, unless it has implications for tomorrow, you're not. Because yesterday's over. What, I am not fearful for my drive to church this morning. Anybody, this is simple, but think through this. I, I have no more fear about the drive from my house to church this morning. It's over. We made it here. No one's fearful for what has happened. We become fearful when we get into our imagination about what may happen in the future. It's always, ah, what if? I wonder, what if? Fear delivers us like a slave to our imaginations. And we begin running what if scenarios. Sometimes in Esther's case, Mordecai's like, don't imagine that you're going to be fine. Don't bury your head in the sand and think like, maybe I'll be fine. Imagine, I'm a queen, and imagine this law doesn't affect me. I'll be fine. He's like, get out of that space. 
Reality shakes her alive. Like, hey, wake up. You're not going to escape this. Quit imagining. Imagination can have the other effect. And we see the other effect in Esther chapter 9. It's like, these guys are going to destroy us. And then, lo and behold, they destroy them. The enemies, the people that were coming against the Jews, were paralyzed by fear. Now, they hadn't been destroyed yet. It did work out that way. They hadn't been destroyed. But in their anticipation of what may happen, they were paralyzed. We'll just stand here and be afraid and hope it works out. As long as we are in our own heads imagining, we are inactive. Inactivity resulting from terror or fear is almost always fatal. This is just, a, this is like, I don't want to say this as a life hack because I'm not really into life hack stuff, stuff, but as a human, when we become afraid to the degree we can't move, it's nearly always fatal. I mean, you think of a squirrel crossing the road. It's like running, 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 car. Where if the squirrel was like, car, run, most of the time they make it. That's what I've been told. Inactivity resulting from terror or fear can often be fatal. But, let's pause here, because we're supposed to be walking with wisdom. So, this today is not a case for panicked busyness. Because there's two sides. Everybody know there's two sides to this. You can take it and say, all right, I'm not going to be afraid, so I'm going to be super busy and just running around like crazy. That's not the case. Because we know this story, and this is what I love about, about doing this last message. If this was the only, it's like cherry pick this message, we're going to preach on Esther. It would take two and a half hours to set up. By that point in time, everyone's asleep or left, and now we're ready to make the point. But we all know the story, don't we? We know that Esther didn't go about this running, panicked, and scared, busy, did she? Everybody know how, remember how she dealt with this? You can find this in Esther chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, so I will go to the king against the law. If I perish, I perish. But she doesn't just run from this meeting with Hatat. She doesn't come and tell her, it's like, hey, you know what? I think you should probably engage. She's like, let's go and run unprepared into the throne room. No. She took three days of wise preparation. She said, I need to stick a pin in this thing. And the interesting thing, fasting, for any of you who have ever fasted, you know that focus, actually, the first day is terrible. Like by supper time of day one of fasting, if you've ever done a three-day fast, supper time of day one is the worst. It's like everything looks like food. You see like the leg on a chair, it's like that looks like a stack of Pringles. I could eat those. But you get to the end of day two, and you can pretty much focus on whatever you want. Because you've told your body, like, we're not doing whatever you want. You listen to me. You can, focus becomes easier. In fact, focus can actually keep you up because by the end of day two, I'm not exactly sure what scientifically takes place, but sleep becomes difficult because your brain is just like, it's like awake and alive. Maybe that's just me, but it happens. She took three days of focus and preparation. She wasn't flippant and she wasn't panicky. She fasted. She didn't spew everything that was on her mind to the king immediately. But neither did she choose to be paralyzed with fearful imaginings. If you fast forward, the king's decree went out. It was sealed with the signet ring. We talked about this. The decree was irrevocable. Another decree was issued. This, was, this green lit the pitched battle. It was just a counteroffensive. But the Israelite people's reaction was not one of fear. When the news goes to the Israelites, I gotta find the verse here. Give me a second. I did not mark this one. 
verse 16, let's see, verse, verse 15 of chapter 8. If you got your Bibles, you want to flip, it's just a couple pages. We're all hanging out right here in Esther for now. Esther 8, 15, we see, So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. I, I didn't, I gotta go back up further, sorry. Verse nine of eight, we see the king's scribes were called at that time, the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded. To the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes, the province from India, Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all. To every province in its own script or language, to every people in their own language, to the Jews in their own script and their own language, he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding the royal horses bred from swift steeds. Verse 11, by these letters, the kings permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children, women, and plunder their possessions. Verse 12, on one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the document, verse 13, we're reading a bunch of this, sorry. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Skip back to where it all took place, or down to 16. You see the Jews had a light, gladness, joy, and honor. In every province, verse 17, and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many people of the land became Jews because of the fear of the Jews fell upon them. You see, their reaction should have still been fearful because numerically they were toast. But they knew they've got a green light to stand up to defend themselves and their reaction was not one of fear. When I, when I look at this, this whole story this overarching principle of fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 reads, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a strong mind. As believers today, we have the opportunity to be afraid. And I see it all the time. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about Psalm 37.1 says, Fret not because of the evildoer. Remember we talked about that? That fret is a, it's a sister, sister to this concept of fear. And as believers today, are we operating in fear? Are we paralyzed by fear? Are we gripped with fear? It's, it's in front of you. Like if, you're, if you're here today and you're like, well, I don't really see that, open your eyes and wake up. It's everywhere. Everybody, that's, like, that's our economy today. We deal in fear. The dollar is worth less than fear today. But we have the opportunity, and this is that layer. We're at the layer. Don't think this is all that the book of Esther is about. This is a layer of application. But we look at this, and the absence of fear lent itself to the Jews. The presence of fear gripped and allowed their oppressors to be overtaken. Even today, fear will paralyze us and make us ineffective. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, this is super familiar to everybody, but I want to read it. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We could have just read that and then got our enchiladas and left. But I wanted to share some more of this story with you. But this, this is the principle. This is the reality for us today. So, just this morning, I was going over all of this, and the Lord nodded to me when I think about this Christmas season. We celebrate at Christmas time the coming of the Messiah. In prophetic language, the Messiah was referred to as Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Joshua, what was before Joshua was daunting. He had a very good reason to be fearful. His ancestors or his, his parents and their generation had walked, his generation had chosen to walk for 40 years. 
I'm just operate, just gripped in fear. It's like, I'm not, that's terrifying. I'm so scared. I'm scared of myself. We're not going to go in there. We look like giants, or we look like ants in our sight, grasshoppers in our sight. It, fear had worked for 40 years, paralyzing them. And the Lord commands him. He reminds him of a command. Have I not commanded you? Remember, don't be afraid. Don't even be dismayed. Dismayed is like the, the foyer to fear. When we find ourselves dismayed, Psalm 37 calls it fretting. When we find ourselves there, we're in the corridor on the way to fear. He says, don't fear. Do not even be dismayed. Not because you're awesome. Not because everything's going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. There's all kinds of things in front of you. This is not going to be a cakewalk. We're about to walk across the Jordan River on dry land. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed. Don't even go in the corridor to fear. Because of one thing, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We today, we are living in the realization of promises made millennia ago. We don't think about it that way. We're like, oh, I wish I knew if the Lord was with me. I wish I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. Church, if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you today. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We're living in the realization of a millennia-old promise, and it's happened. It's here, and it's now. He says, he, this instruction to Joshua was similar to what we have, but it was not the same. He said, I'll be with you. For us, he said, I'll be within you. Because of this reality, we can always choose to fear not. In life, fear not. In death, fear not. In prosperity, fear not. In lack or difficulty, fear not. Sunshine, rain, snow, fear not. The presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives is a greater truth than any and all that would dare to come against it. I look at that. The reality of Jesus in our hearts is greater than the absence of fear that the Jewish people had in the days of Esther. And that was enough to propel them to victory. And we're fighting a different war. We're in a different age. We are in the age of grace. We are proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. The world may fall apart tomorrow. It, I have no idea what all is going to happen. But I can choose to fear not, regardless of what the news says, regardless of what my coworkers say, regardless of what anything happens around me, I can choose to fear not, to fret not, even for such a time as this. And I love that picture of such a time as this. Esther was there. It was very intense, very scary. The potential for things to go sideways was all over the place. And her cousin said, I think you're there for a specific thing. Engage. And I, it's exciting to me to be a believer today. There's uh, a couple people in my life. This is the last little story, and then we're going to wrap this up. There's a couple people in my life. Uh, I, for those of you who don't know, I do mobile welding and repair work. Some fabrication, little bits and pieces. And I know I, I get to interact with a lot of different people. And a lot of people, are, a lot of believers I interact with. And there's, there's a couple of like marked differences in our society. There are people that see all the things going on in the world. And we've, I know we've talked about this, but I, like, I desire us to come away today overwhelmed with hope and overwhelmed with peace. There are things taking place today that aren't super godly. Everybody aware of that? All over the place. I mean, we could exhaust a week of our time talking about them. Society's changing. There's stuff going on in society. It's like, oh boy, I don't know, that's different. Some of it's got evil potentials or evil possibilities. But there's this marked difference in some people that I encounter and interact with. There's a couple of guys, and some of you would know them. There's a couple of guys that every problem that, uh, that arises, they see as leverage to their advantage. 
It's like, oh, well, the economy's going this way. Well, that works out because we happen to be right here. And it's like, I encounter these guys on a couple, uh, on some regularity throughout my weeks. And it's like, every time I leave or I, I hang up the phone, I'm like, I wish I thought more like that. Like, the world's falling apart, and they're like, hey, you know what? I'm perfectly positioned to catch it. Or, you know what? I didn't want that anyways, whatever fell off. They just see the world that way. And then there's other people that I have a ton of interaction with where everything that happens is how this doesn't work out for me, how this is bad. Oh, this is bad. Oh, we're going to this, and our, oh, that's terrible. That's bad. That's bad. That's terrible. It's terrible and bad. And they live miserable. And their light is flickering, but it's just barely flickering, where you can talk to other people, and it's like, I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't know exactly how everything's going to pan out, but they're engaging it without fear. And it, it continually avails itself to them. This world is not perfect. This world is not our friend. It's messed up. It's suffering from the curse. But we aren't suffering from the curse. We've been bought with a price. We're no longer us that lives, but Christ that lives in us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's better for you, Jesus said, if I leave and I send my spirit to dwell within you. That's where we're living today, church. So the world's gonna storm. The world's gonna go crazy. Are we propelled by peace? Are we led by peace? We should be. We are living in the days of God with us. We are living in the days of God with us. So whatever the thing is, and there's a lot of them, probably for as many of us as there are in this room, there's a different thing that's like that ominous dark cloud. <gasps> Boy, I don't know. That thing where we can relate to Esther on this decree going forth and we become, we can become gripped with fear, held by fear, whatever the thing is. And we can choose to shake that loose. Say, you know what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He's promised to never leave me nor forsake. Bury yourself in the word of God. The realities found in scripture are greater than the realities that are going on around us. Whatever goes on around us. You know how amazing that is? That this will never, nothing will ever be greater. Ever. If death itself is not greater than this, then nothing will. We can choose to fear not for such a time as this. Psalm 37, verse 3. We looked at a whole bunch of Psalm 37 a couple weeks ago, but Psalm 37, verse 3 reads, Trust in the Lord and do good. That's simple. Thank you, Jesus, for simple truth. Trust in the Lord and do good. So before we start our doing, we put our trust in the Lord. We, I, I'm not going to be driven by fear. If I'm trusting in the Lord and I, my hands are busy doing good, I'm not going to be gripped with fear. I'm not going to be carried away with fear. I want to have, if any, I, I do want to take this time. We got a microphone here. I want to take this time. Does anybody have anything? I want to close this, but I don't want to close the service yet. This is a choice that we have to engage our culture without fear. This is a choice we have to take what we've learned from Esther and say, I am not going to be gripped or paralyzed by fear. I'm going to engage. I'm going to trust that the gospel is greater than everything around me. But that's a decision that we have to make. Does anybody have anything over the last however many months we've been talking about Esther? Is there anything anybody would like to share or points, thoughts? I want to open it up. We're going to, it's not going to be real long, but we've got a few minutes. If anybody's got something they want to share, I want to invite you to do that at this time. I want to focus briefly on the scepter. When Esther came into the king's presence, life and death depended on if he extended the scepter. In Hebrews chapter 1, there's a prophetic word that Paul reiterates, and he says, Your throne, O God, is established in righteousness, and your scepter is the scepter of righteousness. When King Ahasuerus extended the scepter, he granted righteousness to Esther. She was right standing. She had right standing with him. 
she would not die because she was in right standing. And with Jesus Christ, his scepter, the scepter of righteousness is extended to each of us. We are in right standing and we will not die. We have eternal life because the scepter of righteousness is extended to each and every one of us. And in that place of righteousness, King Ahasuerus said to Esther, you can have whatever you ask from me. Think about that for a second. In the place of righteousness, she could ask whatever she wanted from the king. And when we think about Jesus and the scepter of righteousness that's granted to us, we can ask for whatever we need from the king. Amen. Amen. Has anybody else got anything you want to share? Anything that, and it could be from a long, long time ago, as we've studied Esther. Anybody thoughts on what we shared today? You can't all talk at once. My dad used to say, don't everybody jump at once. Anybody got any thoughts? Trey? Okay. Jerry, you got anything you want to share? I hesitate to ask this, but Danny, do you have anything that's on your heart? That's appropriate. This is church still. Okay. I apologize. Sometimes the timing of this doesn't always pan. I, I'm, this morning I was like, ah, I wish I could have done this closer to when we talked about everything in Esther. There was other things going on, and I think that we did the right thing. But um, if you guys have thoughts, if there's things that come to your heart and mind that are um, from these teachings that you want to discuss further or that you just want to share, don't hesitate to share them with me or with any of the elders or we like this is an ongoing this isn't like okay well the sermon's done now we can all move on this is like this is life stuff and i we're always going to be learning the the word of god is a commentary upon itself there's going to be things in a year six months two years ten years that we that are like oh i remember that i guarantee the next time that we're studying anything where jesus says verily verily most of us are going to think of hatch the eunuch truthfully truthfully if you would join us this morning and stand, I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration and a prayer. Remember, everybody, next week is Christmas at the Rock. We got kids' Christmas songs. We're going to practice right after this. This morning at the Rock, we declare with the Israelites of old that we are blessed and highly favored. Regardless of what we are faced with, we can choose to trust in God to hold fast to the promises and the word of God, knowing he will never go back on his word. This morning, our hearts are grateful for this new covenant that's written in the blood of Jesus and founded upon better promises. Because of this great hope, we choose to be bold. We choose to shake loose from the grips of fear to walk in the power and love and sound mind that we have been given. We choose to proclaim the gospel to our generation no matter what because we know that greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for this body. I thank you for each person that's part of Revelation Rock's family. Father, I thank you for your unmerited and undeserved favor that you've poured out in our lives in the founding of this church and the... the the rocks that have been set, the cornerstone and the foundation stones that have been set here on the word of God. Lord, I just thank you so much for that. Pray a blessing over each person that's here in this Christmas season, Lord. I just pray that we would be a beacon, a light of hope, that we would carry the gospel with confidence, that we wouldn't be intimidated, that we wouldn't be gripped with fear, whether it's fear of man or fear of death or fear of unpleasant events, Father, that all of our fears would be quieted with the presence of Jesus in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you chose to come in the fullness of time as Emmanuel, God with us. 
Lord, I just pray that that reality would overwhelm every tree with lights, that it would overwhelm every uh, family meal, good or bad, that it would overwhelm every gift or gift giving, that it would be the greatest reality this Christmas season of God with us. Father, that we may engage with boldness the society that we are in for this specific time. Somehow, outside of time and space, you're working things together. We're here for such a time as this. Lord, I just pray that we would engage with boldness and sincerity, our culture and our society. Pray a blessing over each person, over these enchiladas and the little enchilada band back there making them. I pray a blessing over our day and over our coming week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys are dismissed. We'll see you next week.